So I let him go anyway. When he's above the woods, going and send the dogs in. It's just a bit of a chaos then. Send the dogs in, ducks are going everywhere. Anyway, he's come down, he's hit one, killed it, and grabbed another one. He's called two. And I thought, wow, you can't get any, can't get any better than that. You know, for a bird that's never done, flown on ducks, he's now done two. And uh, wait, wow, that's the best thing ever. You, you know, you'll always remember that flight. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of the Falconry Toll Podcast. And with this episode, we are now seven episodes into our series featuring falconers from the UK. And I wouldn't have been able to make this series possible without the help of two falconers, being Neil Davies from Pursuit Falconry Magazine and Simon Tires, who is also the author of The Specialist Falcon. Both of these are definitely worth adding to your falconry bookshelves at home, so I highly recommend you head to thespecialistfalcon.com and pick up your copy of Simon's book. You can also get signed copies from him there as well. And if you want to subscribe to Pursuit Falconry Magazine, head to pursuitfalconry.co.uk to make sure that you're always up on some of the best new falconry content in the world. And when I met Alan for the first time at the Valley Expo, I could tell pretty quickly that you know he was a pretty fun and entertaining guy to be around. Some of his stories were definitely pretty amusing, and I enjoyed hearing about some of his experiences breeding his own birds and, and things of that nature. So I hope you find this episode as entertaining to listen to as I did to record it. There's only a couple more episodes left that were recorded at the Valley Expo before we move on to other locations. So anyway, have fun and enjoy. Here we go. All right. Well, it's nice to meet you again, Alan. Appreciate you taking the time to uh, to hang out with me here. Yeah, no, my, my pleasure. My pleasure. All your friends seem to think you're you're quite a character, and judging by the the shirt that you wore yesterday and the one you got on today and stuff, it's, yeah, I, uh, yeah I, I like to wear nice, loud shirts. I think I think my <laughs> wife's not too keen on them, but uh, I think I'm probably known for my loud shirts. If you know, if I go away, I've wear the most flowriest shirt ever. <laughs> but I think it's an age. I'm getting old now, but uh, no, I just enjoy. You know, wives just wear green check shirts all the time. Wear something smart. So that's that's all I use. That's what I do. And I think most people now recognise me. Think, oh, here comes Alan. You know, with a bright flowery shirt on or whatever, whatever. Even in, you know, if I'm on a grouse moor, I still wear a flowery shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it's yeah. I'm I'm not super formal either. And I mean. Uh, wives and uh, what do they know about fashion sense anyway no, right you know, they know nothing <laughs> i think that's what my wife my wife says that to me you've got no fashion sense at all <laughs> yeah well i guess we're not supposed to right no to no. some degree but no. uh well how's the last couple of days treated you yeah it's been very good like i say this year it's um you know i've been well it's been what 30 35 degrees in england which is everyone's dying of the heat well we're not we're just not used to it um and i've just bought a new uh, black jerkin um, and he doesn't like the heat at all. It's, you know, like you guys know, like, you know, heat and jurors don't get on well together. And uh, he's now ready to start. He's hard penned. He's ready to start. He wants to be with me all the time. And uh, so probably another week or so, then, you know, he's going to get ready for this coming season. So hopefully touch wood, you know, he's going to, and he's a smart looking thing. You know, I've, I've, I've flown jurors now for, oh, cracky, I don't know, 25 years, I think. You know, it's my main birds that I fly. You know, I love going out with, you know, my friends and see the falcons fly and, you know, I'll go out with the hawks, but... I do like the jurors, and there's not many in England that fly jurors. You know, I think they're probably, I don't know, silly. It's, I think they've still got the silly price tag around their neck, but a lot of people, oh, we can't fly that because you might lose it. You know, when Harris Hawks come into a country, oh, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, they cost you £2,000. <laughs> and now you can buy one for £100. You know, people are flying them now for, you know, with no telemetry on, which is absolutely ridiculous. But And it's the same with jurors. You know, 20 years ago, they would cost you... Crikey, I don't know how much, you know, silly money. But now, you know, they're in the reach of most people. If you want to work hard and buy one and fly one. And I live in the, probably the worst place in, in England to fly a jur falcon. You know, I fly two males and a female, well, two, two females and a male this year. So I live right next to Heathrow Airport and it's not ideal for jur hunting or flying. So you're kind of like uh, right in the middle of London then? Um, on the outskirts of London. Outskirts. If you, if you imagine Heathrow Airport, from my house, I can see Heathrow Airport. Um, and then you've got what they call Staines Moor. It's a, like a big open area. It's not massively open. It's probably about uh, about 60 acres. No, probably about probably, no, a bit more than that. Say a couple of hundred acres. Um, and it's common land, but you're not allowed to hunt on it. 
but it's perfect for flying, you know, for training. So, you know, we go over there, you know, and, you know, train the birds. But if it all goes wrong, you've got a big reservoir one side, you've got the M25 the other side. So it's a patch of ground surrounded by M4, M25, Heathrow Airport and a reservoir. Uh, and, if, and if it goes wrong, then you're in trouble, you know. But touch wood, it's been, you know, over the last 20 years, that's where I fly and I fly again this year over there or every year just to get them going and then... And then, you know, the hard part about my sport, you know, I could fly a goshawk and go to the local ground and, you know, kick a rabbit up or a pheasant, but I just like flying falcons. And for me to fly my falcons, I have to travel, probably, you know, the same as the guys in America. You know, if you want to fly prairie chickens or sage grouse or whatever, whatever, then you've got to travel to your game. And uh, I have to do exactly the same, you know, with a falcon. I have to travel 60, 70 miles, minimum 60 miles each way. And by the time you drive around, find a game or run the dogs or, you know, whatever. You know, use a thermal in scopes now. But that's my sport and that's what I have to do. So, and I try and get out four times a week. You know, a lot of people, you know, friends of mine are out six days a week, you know, not allowed to hunt on a Sunday, but you know, a lot of them will sort of just do a, you know, a, a, a training day on a Sunday or just, oh, just have a, a relaxing day really. But, uh, so yeah, that's what I do. That's actually still a law here, not being able to hunt on Sundays. You're not allowed to hunt on a Sunday. Um, also, you've also got the game laws. Like say now, you think, oh, you know, if you get the, get your falcon going now, you can't. You know, in England, we're not allowed to give them bag game. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but to, you know, to legally hunt pheasants, you know, October the first, partridges September the first, or red grouse. You know, go to Scotland next week or next month. You know, twelfth of August, then you can fly. But so if you've got a a bird that's, you know, you've got your falcon going now on, you want to fly on pheasants, all you can do is throw a, a dead carcass out. You can't throw a, a live, you know, like I say, a bagged game out. Not allowed in England, totally illegal. So, we, you know, and we're not allowed to do it. So, um, yeah, and, uh, yeah. but it's, uh, yeah. that's that's the hard part, you know. So, you know, come September, the cooler weather, and then, you know, then, you know, then, the, then the hunting starts, you know, properly. And mm. also, the you know, the covers, you know, down you know the stinging nettles and the brambles are dying back so we've got you know more more opportunity more chance of catching one or finding one oh i get it yeah. you know it's and and yeah i mean where where i'm at right now it's during the summer it's it's 95 degrees of course you know we're fahrenheit but yeah but 95 degrees with 100 percent humidity oh, so i mean yeah. it's it's miserable yeah like no, where we're yeah. at and and it stays that way until usually like mid to late October. Yeah. And so the, the really gung ho guys, I mean, especially, you know, the, we, <laughs> I mean, we, we're always supportive of each other. If we want to, you know, mm. help a guy out with his, with his IS that, you know, he's wanting to enter on game and stuff, but, but getting out, you know, in that, in that early of the season and when everything's still all grown up and it's still hot and humid, it can be just downright miserable. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. We, we, let's say in England, we had two days of it last week. And I think the whole of England almost come to a standstill. We had two days of, I think it managed to reach 40 degrees. And that mm-hmm. was the hottest we've ever had. And everyone, it's just, well, it's summer for goodness sake, you know. That's, <laughs> you know, in the summertime, the sun comes out, it gets hotter. But in England, oh, or in the, in the, and also the same in the wintertime, you know, we have half inch of snow and all the railway lines pack up because they can't cope with about <laughs> half inch of snow on the line. Or Oh, you know, I think England's just full of, oh, I don't know, crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> yeah, full of well, snowflakes. Yeah. <laughs> well, people are, are accustomed to different things, different places. I mean, like, you know, my parents, they relocated, uh, retired to uh, uh, Florida several years ago. And anytime they come up to visit and it's less than like, 70 degrees they think they're dying you know so i mean <laughs> yeah, it, it's all it's all relative it's crazy, i mean yeah, yeah. yeah you get you get you get kind of uh de uh, desensitized i guess to certain mm. things but um but no i mean so as far as um i mean with you have you always lived around that area yeah i i well my, i started sort of well i can tell you you know people you know say to me you know when did you start when you know when did you first get interested in falconry you know was your, your you know your parents interested no my dad wasn't interested in at all in it um and it all started i can tell you exactly when it started it was uh oh, cracky i was 12 1972 cracky 50 years ago uh, me and my friend we was fishing over by what's well, you know where we fly the birds now and we're being 12 year old boys we're not catching anything we're making a camp and we're making spears and bows and arrows and things and I uh, heard a bell ringing. I just did a little ching, ching, ching. Look around, saw a guy flying a hawk. And I think, wow, where do you get one of them from? 12-year-old boy. That was my first experience. And I can still see it in my brain today, that first encounter with a guy flying a goshawk. Um, I can't think of his name now. Um, Bill Pearson. 
He was he was a guy, and I've met him. Well, he's, he's, I think he's still alive. Bless him. He's in Somerset. He's moved to Somerset, but I've known him now for over fifty years. Um, and uh, where did we get one of them? And back in 1972, you could take kestrels from the wild or a bird of prey from the wild. And oh, and I went home and uh, said, you know, mum said, oh, you know, how'd you go? I said, yeah, mum, I've got to get an eagle. Where can I get an eagle? I'll just go and play. <laughs> uh, and then where I lived in Stanwall, in the, in Stanwall Village, there was a guy called Peter Hawkett, you know, with a name like Hawkett. I think, wow. Um, and he was been a, a well, he's, again, he's passed away probably about 20 years ago, but he was a, a lifelong NAFA member, um, again with Robin Haig. And they was the guys that were sort of, you know, we latched onto, and uh, we used to go around Peter's all the time. Uh, then we got a kestrel each, and my, my little kestrel was, we didn't really know what we was doing, but Peter and, you know, Robin Haig and Bill Pearson, they helped us out. And uh, so that, that was the beginning of it. You know, had a little kestrel, and she was, oh, well, she was about 19 when she died. I loved it a bit. She didn't catch nothing with it, but we knew, you know, just learned, the, you know, the, the basics. And then from then we went to, then I bought a red tail, or I was given a red tail hawk. And she was fantastic. I loved it a bit. She was beautiful. Um, and she'd catch, uh, you know, rabbits, pheasants very rarely, but mainly rabbits, put on hairs a couple of times and the hairs just kicked the life out of her. And I think, well, that wasn't a very good idea because it bent all the primaries and all the tail feathers. And I think, well, we won't fly hairs no more. But uh, <laughs> And I had her for about 12 years, 14 years. And I was, went on a field meeting. Um, again, I think it was with um, Bill Pearson and, you know, the, the others. And a guy turned up, Jack Harris, a guy called Jack Harris. I think he's passed away now. All my friends are passed, cracky. Um, and he had a peregrine. And that was my first introduction in peregrines. That was probably about 19, oh, cracky, that was 80s, early 80s. And that was it. The red toe had to go and not to get a peregrine. Um, and then that was the beginning of it. So since mm, the 80s, that's all I've flown is long wings. And uh, wow, I think you're still learning. You know, people say, oh, you must know everything. No one knows everything. Every day you're learning something new. And that is the best part about it. You know, like saying, you know, my new, you know, my new adventure now is this black jerkin that I've just bought. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to getting him going. So hopefully it'll be good. But, uh, yeah, jurors can give you a nightmare. You know, the first two years, they don't know what they're doing. They just want to, they just want to play and just be a complete nightmare. But I don't know. It's just something about them. You know, I just, just love them, love them, love them. And, uh, yeah, crazy, crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I've heard a lot of differing views on jeers, especially. There's, so, there's a couple of guys that I've talked to that have uh, sworn by their overall temperament, and mm. um, especially if you, you know, do the uh, the imprint, you know, type of deal with them. And and um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where I think that you're <laughs> every person's individual experience with any species is going to differ. Mm. And, you know, everybody's got their personal preferences, talked about it yeah. tons and tons oh, of yeah, times. Yeah, but, be, yeah. Ask a hundred folks and you can have a hundred different questions, uh, different answers, but or, or I've, always, I've always flown. <laughs> I've always flown. I did have a parent read uh, jerking and uh, he was great, but he was, uh, he, I don't know. He was, he was, he was okay, but he was, just I don't know whether it was just one of those birds was never going to be any good anyway. But uh, he went in for breeding, and then sort of you know my last uh, I know last four years I've been breeding jurors. You know, cracky. You know, when I first went to uh, Amarillo about 20, 20 odd years ago, I met uh, Danny Urquhart there with his jurors, and uh, he took us out. Bob Collins was there, took us out with the jurors, and that, I think that was probably the beginning of it. You know, the love of jurors, um, and you know, sort of twenty thirty years ago, you just dreamt of only one or even dreamt of seeing one no one in England had them or very very few people had them um and then uh about 12 14 years ago a guy a uh, breeder in England he said oh you know do you want to f I flew jerkins uh, uh, for about 20 years now and the guy said oh you've got a white female that, uh, an ias he said do, do you want to fly it um but it was a full imprint and he said he just wanted it flying for three or four years and then it goes back in for breeding and uh, I said yes yeah. so I had uh, well Dora there's a name and uh, I had her for six years, flew her for six years, and I was waiting for the phone call because I know I love the bird to bits. You know, I've had her for six years. She's my baby. I love her. And um, I wanted to um, – I was waiting for the phone call to say that, obviously, he wants it back for breeding. And, I thought, oh, you know, I was dreading it because, obviously, that was a part of the deal. You know, I had her for four years. It's now gone to six years. He has it back for breeding. And, uh, you know, I love this bird to bits. And anyway, he phoned me up, and he said, oh, about Dora. I thought, oh, here's a, here's a horrible bit coming. Do you want to buy her? I thought, oh. Oh, crikey, you know, I said, yeah, I'd love to buy her. How much? I think it was about £8,000. I mean, you know, that didn't go down too well with a wife at the time. <laughs> so, you know, I said, you know, where can I get £8,000 from? You're thinking, what can I sell? You know, I've not, I've got no money. I'm thinking, sell me binoculars and sell me fishing gear and sell it. No, no, keep that, sell something else. Um, 
So I managed to scrape the money together and bought her. Um, and now, and now I, I breed from her. And I say, you know, now I've been, in the last four years, all done by AI, you know, and, and now bred jerf falcons. You know, I'd n- never dreamt of breeding a jerf, never even gem- dreamt of owning one. Now, every year, well, for the last four years, I've bred four jerf falcons every year, which is crazy, you know. And I live in a, a, a mid-terraced house in London, the back garden's... I know, 100 foot long and, you know, surrounded by neighbours and the next door's kids are kicking balls up against the Avery walls and, uh, uh, you, know, think, you know, it's not an ideal place for breeding gerfalcons, but it's so easy. You know, you never thought that, saying that 25 years ago, you know. Um, and, yeah, so now breeding my own gerfalcons. And I've, I've not made no money out of it. I'll give them to my friends. There was a friend of mine here today, John, you know, he, he's a good friend, John Burns, you know, gave him a gerfalcon, another good friend, um, Dave Bishop. Yeah, I wanted to have it. I'd rather let people have it. Oh, and the other guy, um, the guy with a setters walking around, got two beautiful setters. He lost his bird out to sea of all strange things. This was last year. And I had a female jerk from last year, and I wasn't doing nothing with her. And I said, uh, um, named Jacob, I said, you know, do you fancy, you know, sorry to lose your bird. Do you want a female jerk falcon? You know, not many people get offered female jerk falcons. I said, you can have it. Give it a good home. That's more, most important. She's been flown. Anyway, he flew it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Flew it in North Wales and uh, showed me on the... He phoned me up. He said, oh, guess what? I said, oh... And he, he was in tears, bless him. He said, um, I can't even call it now. He said, the, the jur's gone. I said, what? He said, what? He said, anyway, he's flown out to... Sea, gone out to sea chasing something. On the last GPS signal, you could see that was where it went in the sea. Mm. And that was the end of it. He was so upset. I said, look, it happens. Every time you let the bird go, could get hit by a truck, could hit a fence, hit a line, whatever. So... But that's you know I'd rather that happen than it's sitting in a in a pen doing nothing all its life. And a lot of people will buy these jurors and spend you know money on them and think you know you say you're going to fly it. It'd be good to see it. Oh, I can't fly it. It's crack. It cost me five thousand pound or ten thousand pound or whatever. And think, that's, that's sad. You've got to you know why buy a sports car and not don't use it on the road? GPS transmitters now and you know never had that twenty years ago. Bird disappeared. Beep beep beep. Try and find it. Oh, and th- going through London, tr- tracking jurors down in in the middle of. A nightmare, absolute horrendous. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's that in that case, it's extra salt and wound if uh, if they're tracking another uh, five, six hundred dollar, seven hundred dollar transmitter on their back too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> on top of it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's happened a few times. You know, uh, you'd be out tracking birds, down you've come across someone else who's tracking birds, and oh, we've had some nightmares, nightmare track down. One of, uh, I could probably talk a couple, about about ten, no, probably fifteen years ago, we was again on Stainsmore. I was flying a little Joe Barbary, pretty little thing. And uh, I said, it was just before Christmas, and I said to the wife, I said, I'm just going to quickly go and fly to Joe Barbary. Uh, I can't even name Fly Max. And uh, she said, yeah, don't be too long because we've got to go Christmas show. I said, no, I'll be about two hours. You, you, well, you know that's going to be fatal. Anyway, I flew him, let him go, and he flew around, done a big out circuit, and he's just straight lined, gone. I thought, ah. Oh. So I got the tra- you know, got my old RB4 box out. Beep, got a signal, faint signal, downwind, anyway. Then the signal just faded away, lost it. Drove in bigger, bigger circles. Like, say, you know, when you're tracking a bird down, you just go downwind. And I know he went downwind because that's a lot. Well, didn't say no, but I thought downwind, that's where he went. I'll just keep going further and further downwind, bigger circles. So now a friend of mine, we was, um, he, he said, oh, I'll come with you. Then I phoned the wife up, said, oh, the bird's gone. Oh, that didn't go down too well because we're now going Christmas shopping. But I've got to find a bird. So she went off with the hump. I don't know why. So then I've gone, we're driving downwind and we're driving down. Anyway, we, we drive all afternoon, no signal. We're now getting right out to the other side of London, near Wimbledon Tennis Stadium, you know, that way, Kingston, Wimbledon, in the high-rise flats. And it's, now it's pitch black. And now we're about 30 miles from where we were. We got lost on the road, took the wrong turning. We're now on the A3, going into London. You can't turn around to come back. So I said, oh, look. I said to a friend, we'll turn left here. And I said, these traffic lights, we'll turn left. And this is gospel truth. As we turned left, beep, got a signal. If I hadn't turned left at that set of lights to go home, we wouldn't have got the signals. And uh, beep, beep, got a signal. I think, ah, fantastic, got him. Now he's up uh, where we was. There's a big high-rise blocks of flats, you know, about 20 stories high. No, more than that, 40 stories high. Pointing the Yagi up, up to say, up there. You could see him on a balcony up the top. I think, oh, crikey, he's up there. So I think, right, so I know roughly where he is. So you go in these high-rise blocks of flats, and it's like a, a labyrinth. You don't know where you're going. So, oh, up, up until then, about a week before, where this 
this block of flats just on Wimbledon Common, this girl was murdered. So I thought, oh, this is just getting worse and worse, this track down. Anyway, so I've now run, running up these stairs. Bear in mind, I've got chick guts all over me and dead pigeon in my pocket and this and trying to find a bird. And so I'm running up these stairs, knocked on the door. Now I'm sweating like you wouldn't believe, knocked on the door, you know, can you let me in? <laughs> can you let me in? My bird's on your banister. And there's a girl there opening the door and thinking, my God, it's some crazy lunatics just off the common. <laughs> so anyway, let, she let me in. And he was on the banister and undone the door and he, he flew out into the sky. But luckily he crash landed about, I don't know, and my friend who's down there managed to fight. We got him, but we got him back. That was a, probably one of the worst track downs we've ever had. But yeah, tracking him down in the middle of London and oh, I've had some horrendous ones. You know, stopped cars to borrow, you know, gone in Kilburn High Road in the middle of London. We had the signal coming from an old building, an old shop front above the shop was a you know like a, a you know like derelict rooms and the signal was coming from there we had to stop a car in the middle of Kilburn High Road because he had a ladder on his roof can we borrow your ladder to get up into the roof to try and find a pigeon you know he's in there eating a pigeon oh, we've had some horrendous yeah <laughs> it's not, not the ideal place to track falcons around in London no guys you know some of you guys in America have been tracking birds all around London uh, you know New York or wherever wherever but uh, Oh, it's horrendous, horrendous. And you get the bird back. And, oh, what are you doing? What's that for? You know, you're walking along with a yaggy. Oh, can I help you? you know, just horrendous, horrendous. But it's all part of the fun. Oh, yeah. Not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've I've been stopped a, a few times going through neighborhoods yeah. and stuff, just driving around in circles. And, can I help you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it. I'm yeah. just looking for a bird. And they're like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. yeah well, we have it now. So I live right next door to Heathrow Airport. And a few times I've gone in there and that's a nightmare. If you go, if they go into Heathrow Airport, on the outskirts, you're fine. But if they go over sort of the, the peri- you know, perimeter road, then you can't get in there. It's all very high security. And now you're walking around with a new Marshall you know, telemetry set, and it does look a little bit like a gun, and you're walking around. I've had the armed police on me two or three times. What on earth? Put that. Put the gun down. Do not move. And they say, it's not a gun. Put, and you have to do as they told, you know, do as they say, because they... And then they say, well, it's not... You know, I'm looking for a bird. All oh, right, next time, if you lose a bird around Heathrow, please phone us up to let us know, because we've got reports now, you know, what this day and age now, and in, in London, walking around with a, you know, the Marshall receiver. does look like a, a gun. And uh, <laughs> I've had it about three or four times where the police have screaming at me put the gun down do not move lay on the floor i think it's not a gun but you have to abide by them because i don't know might be a little bit trigger happy yeah just 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 just, you know just a little i mean it happens occasionally i mean nobody's perfect but uh but yeah no it's it can it can be pretty uh i mean that's why i've talked you know a few times to the gps stuff to me has been kind of worth its weight in gold it's fantastic i mean best thing ever i I, there was one time i I mean i would have lost um like the uh, a few years ago, I, I I had an imprint prairie falcon that I was training, and there was a couple times where he decided to do the usual IS thing, kind of peace out for a little bit and go explore on his <laughs> yeah, own. That's you know? it. And um, yeah, I mean he uh, he flew where I usually would train. There's a there's a small um, kind of ultralight, you know, those ultralight mm, planes, yeah. and there's there's a small. Uh, airport that's about 15 minutes from where I live and I would I would train him there sometimes and every so often he would decide to get a little adventurous well there's also a river that's like right down the road a couple Mm. miles down and he decided that he wanted to go take a a leisure stroll you know like a a leisure (laughs) cruise across the river well there's no convenient way to get across that river you've got to you've got to you've got to go completely (laughs) down to the next city over and cross over this bridge into Mm. into kentucky and then come all the way back down yeah it was ended up being about a what what should have been normally a 10 to 15 minute retrieval was about an hour and 30 minutes because yeah. I mean, but as soon as I got back into range, picked right back up, drove right up to where he was just kind of soaring around, mm. pulled out the lure, came right back yeah. and you know, off we were, you know, yeah. but yeah, I mean, otherwise that would have been more than likely a lost bird. Yeah. yeah. No, let's say now, let's say GPS has been out in England now for the last probably five, six years, you know, Marshall, fantastic. Um, and like I say, it's a total game changer. Mm-hmm. It is so good. You can see exactly where it is. And you think, all right, you know, before you think, right, you've got the signal, keep walking that way. Then you come to a river or come to a whatever, and you can't get there. And now you can look at it and thinking, I can just drive exactly where it is. You know, and I've had, you know, we've been out on the fens, you know, down out in Cambridgeshire flying. Beautiful. And they've got like the, what they call a river cam. And it's a big, like, drainage ditch, probably about 30 yards across and uh, again, it was that little that Joe Barber. It was, 
Yeah, I should have got rid of that earlier. <laughs> it was him. He, anyway, he's gone across the river and he's not coming back. And I've got a good signal. I'm thinking now, you know, the nearest bridge, now it's probably 10 miles either direction. You've got to go, go, get back to the car because we walked across the fields to get to where he was. And by the time I get back to the car and get back round and then try and find him, it would be a nightmare. So I thought, well, the only way across, this is the end of November, stripped off. Threw my hawking bag across and my boots. I thought, as long as I've got my boots on, so I'm just standing there in my, in my pants. <laughs> threw my boots across. I had a good signal, so I roughly knew where he was. But I, so swam across the river. As I got to the other side, he'd come back. And I thought, if I'd have waited another second, <laughs> he would have come back. Now I've got the bird down. I'm thinking, oh, crikey. Now, I've got a, now I know how cold this river is. It's the end of November. Now I've got to swim back across the river with the bird on my hand, trying to so he's not getting wet, so we can get hopefully get another flight with him a bit later on. And, uh, and you're thinking, why on earth do you do it? And, you know, I'll get home and the wife says, oh, did you have a great day? I said, no, it was the worst day ever. <laughs> the bird disappeared. I had to swim the river. Why would you do it? Why did you do it? This is meant to be fun. I said, you do it because you just just love it. You know, it's, that is, you know, all, all folks across the world, no matter where you are, what you're flying, you know, you have the worst day in the world. You know, you think, oh, I'm sick of this, you know, and, and then you go out the next day and you forget about all those bad days. And then the next day the bird flies well, you smash a pheasant down or a partridge or a duck and you think, wow, that's why we do it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but you know as well as I do that if you waited that other minute, you would have been waiting about another yeah, thousand yeah, minutes. Yeah, hey, it, it, if you yeah, would have waited, come, yeah. the bird wouldn't have come no, back. He no, he no. <laughs> I think he was probably sitting. Oh, yeah, but I thought, oh. <laughs> like I say, when you got to get in the river and swim across in November, oh, it was awful. But would I do it again for the jur? Of course I would. You know, do any of the birds. You, you can't think, oh, I can't. But, well, say that now with a GPS, you think, oh, right, I can get to where I've got to go. Easy, easy. But, you know, them days... You know, just with the old, um, you know, Luxander set out and uh, yeah, it's hard work. But now it's just fantastic. And it's getting better and better all the time. You know, I think Marshall have got a, you know, got a new thing coming out. They won't tell me what it is yet, but I, I think there's something in the pipeline that's going to come out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. I've, I've heard rumours too. Yeah, yeah. No, like I say, when I went to, you know, like Grouse Camp a few times and, you know, out to, you know, with Steve Chingren and best guys in the world and you know we went to you know robert bagley showed us around marshall's mm -hmm. wow it's mm -hmm. like something out of star wars you know the the technology that they put into this stuff is just fantastic and just like i say it's just it's a game changer no doubt about it unbelievable did you get to see the uh the big mural that they painted or was that yes. was that was yeah, that, that was i just done it when i was there yeah. yeah yeah it was just a hand like a few years ago or so yeah, that's it. yeah yeah i didn't know if it was before they they did that mural or if they if it was after or when, yeah, when we I, went, I was there uh about three years ago, it was just before COVID. You know, try and get out yeah. there. You know, mm -hmm. once a, you know, if I can get out there once a year, you know, to see. Uh, well, we we fly to um, Salt Lake City, stay with um, Steve Jensen. Mm -hmm. um, what a lovely guy, old Grizzly. He's like old <laughs> Grizzly Bear. He's a lovely guy. Um, and then we go from there to um, Grouse Camp. You know, in Eden. You know, Steve Chingren, and uh, oh, it's the best experience in the world. I'd, I'd move there tomorrow. It's beautiful. Yeah, you get to go out there and spend all those time, uh, spend all that time telling all those all those lies and. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You sit around that campfire yeah. at night time drinking yeah. a few beers and, uh, and then you, oh even better still, then you find out where Cabela's is and going Cabela's. Wow, it's like kids <laughs> in a sweet shop going in there. They got nothing like that in England, you know. Cabela's is probably you know in Bass Pro best shops in the world, and you go in there, you come out with about four pairs of hunting boots and trousers and coats, and you're thinking. Hold on, I've got to get these home now. My suitcase. How did you get this home? So you know you're bearing. You're, you're next thing you know you're uh, buying another additional carry-on bag or yeah, a, a smaller yeah, suitcase. That's exactly. And, yeah. You think, so, oh, you, you think, oh, I don't need those trousers or some of this stuff that you bought home from, you know, bought from England to the states. You think, oh, I'll leave that or throw that in the dumpster and then put all the, all the good stuff in. <laughs> so no, well, I can I can just get a new, uh, nice and bright flowery shirt when I get back to when I get back yeah, to London. Yeah, yeah, got, yeah. <laughs> No, I feel you. No, I'm well. I mean, just out of curiosity, I mean, I've asked a, a couple of these other guys uh, about kind of what what a typical. I mean, since you face some other challenges with where you're at with um, you know flying jeers, mm. what's what's training and what's uh, an actual hunt look like for you, and, and what do you what do you kind of hunt around here? Well, where where we fly, um, like say on what stains more, you've got like the there's the river Colne that runs through the middle of it. Um, and you do get a few ducks on it. And also, 
in the in the spring uh, sort of winter time autumn time when it starts to you know a bit of heavy rain you do get some little some big puddles on the on the on the moor itself so you get a few teal and mallard on there so they are they are catchable but it's you've got to set it up right you've got to approach it from the you know whatever the way the wind's blowing and try and sort of ambush them but our normal hunting um you know when we go out well i like to i'm a game hawker you know pheasants ducks partridge grouse whatever that's it that's me um so i fly a lot over in essex with my friends alan van vink gary billis um gary pearson um and they've got their own farms because in england the hardest part of game hawking is finding game to fly at you know in the in the states you know when we've been out with chingle and we drive on to you know uh Farson or um you know whatever sandy river or whatever it's called and they drive for hundreds and hundreds of miles and it costs them nothing in england you know, it costs you a fortune because you just can't go and think, oh, there's a pheasant in the field over there or there's a duck pond over there, let's go and fly it. It's someone's property and you can't do it. And England's surrounded by big commercial shoots and, you know, you knock on the farmer's door and say, oh, can I fly my falcon at pheasants or ducks or partridge? You can get lost, clear off, you know, because the money they spend on the shooting is is crazy. Um, but friends of mine have got ground over in Essex uh, and also down in Hungerford we fly um, and they put pheasants down. So in, it's like covers. We use the dogs. I've got English pointer and a German pointer. Or, or what we use now, which is another thing, a lot of people don't like it, is a, like thermal image scopes. So you can just drive along and think, you know, with a thermal image scope out the window and you can see, ah, oh, there's a cover of partridge in a field where you, know, where, where you probably wouldn't see them before. Um, a lot of people say, oh, it's, it's cheating because you can, but you've still got to try and catch them. You've still got to set the flight up. You think, oh, just because they're in the middle of the field, you think, oh, you're going to catch them. No, it's impossible. Not impossible, but you've still got to set that flight up. Yeah, it's it's not legitimate unless you suffer the most. Oh, correct. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it would have it it would have been legitimate if you would have just driven or walked around for about you know ten hours trying to find that uh, that group of the of yeah. the birds or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, just trying to cut down on that on that search time. Yeah, it's oh, just yeah, that's, that's the long bit. And, <laughs> you know, and at the end of it, you know, where we fly on a bit of ground is sort of like call some bomb holes. It's just like a, a a crater in the middle of the field, surrounded by trees. It'll have ducks on it. Nine, nine, nine times out of ten, there'll be, you know, half a dozen mallard on there or some teal. And then you think, right, okay, right, you, you're running out of time and it's a spec flight because as soon as you show your face, they've gone. You know, so you've got to stand back, you know, two or three hundred yards from the pond, let the bird go. When the bird's over the pond, running, you know, set the dogs off, running, flush the ducks, running there, no ducks. You think, ah. Now it's a pain. You know, the bird's <laughs> up five, six hundred foot or a thousand foot, whatever. Nothing comes out. Now you've got to then get the bird down and uh, that can all go <laughs> wrong as well. So hopefully, you know, just throw the lure out or run to another piece of cover strip and hopefully let all the dogs off and there's dogs everywhere trying to flush something or trying to find something to serve your bird when it's up in the, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. all crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that have to come together. Oh, it's it's one of the the hardest part is 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 it's like a big jigsaw, you know. It's the same wherever you fly the birds, you know. You know, all you are, you're just the person that holds the bird, you know. And, you know, you've got to have the dog on point. You've got to know where the grouse is, or the pheasant, or the partridge, or the duck, you know, on a pond. And then you think, right, the wind's blowing this way, right? I've got to come around that side, or there's a hedgerow that runs along the road there. If I'd use a hedge, sneak along the side of the hedge, put the bird up two fields back. You know, and someone standing further back with a radio, you know, well, yeah, okay, go, you know, run in, you know, and, and then try and sort of orchestrate the flush from there. And it's, it is hard work, but it's, I don't know, like I say, when it all goes together, you, think, you remember those flights forever, you know, when it all goes wrong, you think, oh, what a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where's the pub? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that's what, that's what beer is for. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, it's, it's, um, I think it's funny because, when a lot of people that don't know a whole lot about falconry, they, I think they think that the training of the bird is like the hardest part. And I'm always like, no, no, the training no. part's actually the easy yeah, part. That's easy. Yeah. yeah. Like the getting them, getting them to kind of come back and doing all that. That's actually kind of the easy part. The, the hard part is orchestrating the, the hunts. Oh, oh definitely. Yeah. yeah. You got to, you know, you, or you wait all weekend, you know, you get invited on a good bit of ground, you know, with, you know, lots, you know lots of pheasants or ducks and you go there and it's raining or it's, blowing a gale and you think ah oh, you know you just drove 150 miles and the weather's just ridiculous you think oh you know do i fly the bird in this rubbish weather and you know what what is the bird going to achieve out of flying and a lot of people will, will fly their birds in rubbish weather but they're never going to get the best out of the bird you know i i i don't know whether i'm 
uh, sort of, you know, get a bit fright, not frightened, but thinking, you know, why fly in rubbish weather when the bird's not going to make its best pitch? It could all go wrong so quickly and then think, no, I won't fly. I think that's probably one of the hardest bit. I think it's a, 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 a sign of a good falconer. You know, a lot of people think, oh, yeah, we'll fly it, fly it, you know, undo it, undo the braces, straight hood, let it go. I think the sign of a good falconer is turning the flight down, thinking, you know, yes, there's ducks there, but if they flush, they're going to go that way. The bird's not going to get on them because there's trees behind there or there's a road or there's a power line or whatever, whatever. And you've just got to look at the situation, weigh it up, thinking, no. Not for me. If someone else wants to fly it and risk losing your bird, you know, you know, I love my burst of bits, and I don't want to, you know, risk it on one flight. It's, what's the what's the point of that wasting? You know, so I think a good time is being able to turn a flight down when you think, yeah, that's not going to, you know, a lot of people say, oh yeah, fly it, fly it, fly it, and I've seen it dozens of times. They've let the bird go, and it all goes wrong, and mm-hmm. you know, the bird doesn't get a proper flush, and the bird goes downwind, and then it's a track down, and thinking, told you. Yeah. Should have kept him on the fist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, well, just being real about it, though, I mean, we all we all succumb to temptation. Oh, of course you do, yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, how many times you can hold yourself in check. And some, <laughs> and sometimes that's that's what some some good old-fashioned uh, hunting buddies are for to tell you how stupid and, yeah, and, uh, yeah. and just incompetent you are just even thinking about it and whatever. And, and yeah, uh, no, just... I think most of them say, yeah, go on now, do it, do it, do it, go on, do it, yeah. do it. Yeah, they just, they just want I told you not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been there plenty yeah. of times too. Just like, yeah, I mean, go for it. Yeah. I, I, I could use I'll some more entertainment. Use some more entertainment today. Yeah, so why yeah, not? yeah. We get that a lot. Yeah, go on, I'd, I'd fly it. I said, well, go and get your bird then and fly it. Oh, well, it's a little bit heavy today <laughs> or, he's, or, he's, or i fed him late last night so he's not really ready i said oh well there we go then yeah but, yeah uh, yeah you gotta you gotta start breaking out every oh, every yeah, excuse when, when we go out hunting you know it's not a competition and you want your birds to fly well but i get just as much enjoyment seeing other birds fly um and at the end of the day when the birds are back on the fist in the back of the car all safe and well you've had the best day ever you know that's, the, sure. that's the best part about it and you have yeah. you know the camaraderie you know you know the, the Mickey taking, you know, oh, I told you that was rubbish or this, that. That's all part of the fun, you know, having a having a good day out, you know, get a hip flask out, have a few, few slow gins and that's it. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, no. And, and uh, in our case, sometimes it's uh, the, the short little uh, shot glass uh, yeah. sized uh, things of fireball. You yeah. Know, that, 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 those kind of tend to get yeah. broken out every, occasionally in our yeah, group. Well, but. well I'm, I'm shame it's not a video because I've got a picture. I should show a picture. My, my, I like wearing flowery shirts and also I'm, re- I'm sort of known for my hip flask you know in, in England they, they, they've got a, like I say it's called a hip flask on your hip it's got about I don't know a bit of whiskey or slow gin or port and brandy in it and it's the size of a uh, I don't know uh, how can I say but not very big it holds about a cup full of whiskey or gin sure, yeah. when well, my hip flask they, they get these hip flasks get their pocket I say that's not a hip flask it's a bit like Crocodile Dundee yeah it's not this a is a hip flask <laughs> it holds a gallon and it's yeah. about you know it, well, it holds a gallon of slow gin and I say that's a hip flask and then we get that out and yeah, it's just that's all part of the fun yeah and then we get, get the scars out as well yeah, they look at you yeah. like, why, why do you have a gallon jug tied to your... Oh, no, you can't leg? carry it. No, it's too heavy to carry it. No, it's in the back of the car. When we're, when we're back at the car after we finish flying, you know, we're sitting there reminiscing on the day and like, let's have a... We'll all have a cigar and then we get the hip flask out and have a few slow gins and then drive home. Shouldn't say that. Not let drink and drive, but we don't go too mad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, you yeah. just wait till you're sober again. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah for sure. later. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I mean, I, I, going back to the whole breeding thing, I mean, you mentioned that, that you, you breed your own jeers now. I mean, I, yeah. how, how tough was it really to get into that? I mean, um, well, I, it was for, for me, it was the, the, my female jerk, you know, she, she was nine years, uh, nine years old when she first laid, um, and she laid the egg and went, crikey, you know, what do I do? Anyway, I, I spoke to a friend of mine, a very good friend, a guy, he's a uh, big jerk breeder, Martin Patterson, his name is. And uh, he said, crikey, he said, because you laid the one egg, he said, I'll send you some semen, you know, in the post. I said, oh, perfect. So, but I didn't really know what I was doing, but it was easy enough to do it. You know, I went to see him and he showed me, you know, he's got lots of jerks, he's a big jerk breeder. Um, and he showed me how to do it. And I think, well, that looks quite easy. If, you know, there's no, no hard science about it. You know, you just take it out in a little pipette and just pop it on and t- t- draw it in. So, but I, I messed up the first year anyway. The second year, um, 
like I say, it's just now four years ago. She, 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 I, I knew, she, 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 uh, Martin Pat said, she, she said she will lay within those two or three days this year, you know, next year. So anyway, he sent me the semen through last year, you know, th- four years ago. And we, I've got four out of four, four eggs. And I thought, how do I incubate them? And, you know, it's like, do I leave her with them or do I put them in the incubator? He said, let us sit them for 10 days and then put them in the incubator. Don't mess. He said, the best bit of advice I could give you is that when you put them in the incubator, leave them alone. Don't mess around with them. Just make sure it's set up for a Grumbach incubator. Put them in that. And got four out of four out. So in the in the breeding... Oh, then I had a Jersaker that I inseminated as well. So I had three Jersakers um, that we bred. And it's just got so easy. But then this year, for some weird reason, global warming, I don't know what it is, my Jer now has now decided to lay an egg five weeks early. Five <laughs> weeks early. We phoned up all the guys. You know, she's not expected to lay this time. You know, crack, he's laid an egg. So no one's, you know, none of the jurors are, you know, are donating. So I couldn't get any semen. So, so that was all, I thought, ah, oh, this year's all gone completely wrong. So he said to me, he said, what you want to do is let, let us sit them for 10 days um, and then take them away and she'll recycle, hopefully. In the meantime, one of my jerkins is now coming to condition. So I'm now getting semen from him. She's came, and the female now is wanting to stand again. And this year we've got three out of it. So I've actually bred, you know, from my own jerkin donating semen to me to inseminate the female. And I'm thinking, it's so, it's so easy, you know. <laughs> and I say, oh, you, and ah, perhaps I shouldn't do it, I say it, but, you know, some of these big breeders, you know, they, they, they weigh the egg. And I, oh, they say, what did the egg weigh? I say, I don't know. Never weighed an egg in my life. <laughs> oh, you've got to do the chart. You've got to do the, you know, they do this chart, you know, the egg weight loss, this thing. I don't, probably fantastic. I don't know. I don't do it. <laughs> um, and they said, oh, you know, you've got to drill holes in them and this, and you've got to sand the eggs. I said, oh, crikey. I said, I've never done none of that. I said, just put them in the incubator, leave them alone. And they've all hatched. Not lost one. Not one. Hundred percent success. And how many years you've been doing? Only four. You know, I'm still a novice. Perhaps next year it could all go totally wrong and lose a lot. But you know, <laughs> and they said, "Oh, you, oh, those incubators, they're no good. They're rubbish. You want one of these? This type of incubator, that type of incubator. You know, I bought these Grandbacks. You know, super German thing. And uh, oh no, they're rubbish. They're rubbish. You don't want one of them. You want one of these ones or this one. I won't say names or anything. But this Grandback that I use is, I've had no problem at all. It's fantastic." Brilliant. Yeah. You know how you know how it is. Falconers. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, Falconers and their opinions. You oh, know, crikey, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. Totally get it. Well, mm. well, go ahead and shine on. You've already shared a couple of, of, of pretty pretty neat stories so far. Mm. But I mean, what's the uh, you know, you've heard our episodes. I mean, we, we like mm. to ask what you know, usually there's there's one story or one bird in particular that every falconer has that always kind of comes to the forefront of, of their mind whenever they you know, reflect back on their experience. So what's, yeah. what's yours? Oh, crikey. I've had some super falcons, like say Jer peregrines, fantastic. But I've, you know, if, if I didn't fly just you know, like pure jerseys, it'd be a Jer peregrine. Peregrines are fantastic. Lots of my friends just fly the peregrines, but I do like the hybrids. People don't like hybrids, but the pure jerseys, I love the jerseys. Um, I don't know. It's just, just the flights you get with them. You know, I've had probably... Not one of the what oh, he's probably that bird again, that Joe Barbary. He's I've been in London with him, swum rivers with him. We'd go on a field meeting every year. Not a brilliant flight. It was it was a cracking thing. And I had him for about twelve years. And in the end, I thought after twelve years, he'd fly brilliant one day, exactly the same weight, same field, same scenario, and it it just do something totally different. Anyway, we went to the on this field meeting every year at the end of the season, John Humphreys field meet. Uh beautiful ground on the fens over in Cambridgeshire and in the distance there's one old dead oak tree and I guarantee that horrible little rat as soon as you unhood him you've got partridges and pheasants down these ditches and then down the ducks on the fens and then it just straight line to this oak tree and they called it Alan's tree in the end because this job and I thought next year would be better next year would be better and I'll give him 12 years I've flown for 12 years thinking next year you're going to be better and I think I wasted 12 years with him, to be honest. But that's not wasted. You're learning all the time with him. But as far as, you know, best flights, I don't know. You just, everyone has super flights and disastrous flights. I've had horrible flights where, again, where I fly on Stainsmore, you've got the A M25 one side. Uh, the, the jerk, actually, I breed from now, um, or gave me semen this year. He's called uh, Eddie, I'll call him. Um, he had a superb pitch. Flushed the ducks, chased the ducks, 
And then he's gone. Then the crows in England, we get a lot of trouble with the crows. Then the tro- crows have latched on to him and give him a hard time. And I see him go across the road, across the M25, uh, and he, he's not come back. So I've got the GPS. I can see him right by the side of the road. I thought, ah, oh, that's not good. So I go, go over there. He's sitting on the side of the road. He'd been hit by a car. Luckily, he was still alive, but he was not, his wing was drooped, but he could still fly. And he managed to fly about, I don't know, half a mile down the road into Staines Town Centre, which is a nightmare, onto the building. Now he's got a droop wing because he's been hit. He thinks I've probably done it because he doesn't like me because, you know, now, I've tried, now he's sulking because he's, oh. And um, it took me two days to get him back, but uh, that was a nightmare. But, mm. yeah, every, you know, it's one of the flights that I'll always remember that I don't like to remember. You know, it's, uh, it could have happened. Touch wood, he was, you know, it didn't kill him. And he, he's still okay now and he's, he's a, a breeding bird. But, uh, you know, I will fly him again, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, everybody's got those, you know, experiences that, yeah, yeah. you know, good and bad. Yeah, oh, so. oh, 100%. Yeah, and, you know, like I say, and then, you you know, you get the, the days. But I suppose one of my probably best days is, uh, again, we was flying out in Essex, uh, and it's, it's a spec flight, um, you know, what we call, you don't know, it's a big wood. Um, in the middle of this wood, well, it's not a massive wood, it's about uh, 100 yards across, 100 metres across either direction, um, in the middle of it is like a, a, a duck pond. It's always got wild teal on it and wild mallard. And you put the bird up and it's my, my white jerkin that I flew. And I've not flown him at ducks. And, uh, and the guy said, well, try him, see what he does. This was about five years ago. Try him, try him. So I let him go anyway. When he's above the woods, going and send the dogs in. It's just a bit of a chaos then. Send the dogs in, ducks are going everywhere. Anyway, he's come down, he's hit one, killed it. And grabbed another one. He's called two, and I thought, "Wow, <laughs> you can't get any can't get any better than that." You know, for a bird that's never done flown on ducks, he's now done two. And uh, wait, wow, that's the best thing ever. You, you know, you'll always remember that flight. Well, I will. But uh, you know, and uh, since then, you know, they say, "Oh, you know, it's a, it's a spec flight." And people, you know, when we go on the ground, people say, "Do you want to fly now?" Well, oh, I don't know. I'll fly. I'll fly. I'll do it because <laughs> you know that. That, you know, there's a 99% chance they're going to come out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I think, you know, what you get, what you put in is what you get out. You know, a lot of people say, ah, you know, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I want to get a Falcon or get this, get that. Well, where can I fly it? I said, well, you've got to have somewhere to fly it and you've got to put miles in. You know, I travel thousands of miles every year. You know, same with the guys in America, you know, or anywhere in Europe, wherever, wherever. If, you, if you're dedicated enough and you want to fly that particular species of bird and that's what you want to fly, you've got to, put the work in and uh, you know people say oh you're mad you're stupid and I said yeah, perhaps I am but that's what <laughs> I love to do and uh, you know I just love them and I can't see me ever oh, sorry, when I get a bit older I might uh, I don't know get a hawk but I doubt it <laughs> <laughs> most people whenever they get older they they transition to long wings anyway because yeah, it's, yeah. You know, <laughs> but well, a lot of the times you know when we fly the long wings we're sort of in the car and we can drive along the tracks um, same you know, you know when we're out with you know when I've been out to with Steve Chingren, you know, he's driving along those, pre- those gravel tracks and dogs are running to the side and you see, them, well, well, you know, dog's on point, right, get out of the truck, put the bird up, get the flight back in the truck, drive off and try, you know, before you'd be walked miles and miles and miles, you know, go on a grouse moor, walk miles and miles and miles and miles and then back to the car and if it all goes wrong on a grouse moor, wow, then you're in trouble because you're, you're far enough away from the cars uh, and you can't get back to the car you know, to get the bird or you know, to get to the car to get to where the bird is, that could be a nightmare. I've had a few of those as well. <laughs> you know, tracking a bird down on a grouse moor at night time and thinking, you know, again, I was with Alan, this was a couple of years ago in Yorkshire, and um, we're flying the bird. Oh, a wild peregrine's chased him down. He was playing with a wild peregrine and we're walking and he, I said, oh, I'll go and find him. Couldn't get a proper GPS signal for some reason. I don't know whether it's just, it just only just come out and I probably didn't have the settings right. But I did have a good signal, so I knew where he was. But so we we're walking across this grouse moor, further and further and further away from the car. And uh, I said to Alan, I said, "Crikey!" I said, "We're in trouble now." He said, "Well, what's the matter?" I said, it's, we, we, "We've been walking for about three hours, tracking the bird down." I said, "It's going to be dark in twenty minutes." And then, sure enough, it was dark. And then you're thinking, "Now we're in the middle of a grouse moor up in Yorkshire, and you haven't got a clue where you are." And you're thinking. That, that was frightening. I don't, I don't mind admitting, I was frightened. And thinking, crikey, you could fall down a, like a peat hag, like the big ruts in the ground and break your leg or whatever, whatever. And uh, I said to Alan, I said, well, I don't know what we're going to do now. I said, but we did know where the bird was. And I said, down in the sort of a long way off, there's a little red light. And we said, well, it must be someone's house. Got to be a house. 
So we walked down a hill, but anyway, got to, managed to get to the house, knocked on the door, lady come to the door, nicest lady in the world, but it was the gamekeeper's wife from, <laughs> from, from the, from the neighbouring shoot. She was lovely. He was a complete horrible man. Oh, you shouldn't be on my ground. Oh, he was a nightmare. Couldn't pick a worse house in the world to knock on a door. But next morning, he took us under the... He was okay, but he was a bit grumpy, bless him. But. Yeah, well, at any rate, yeah. no, it's, uh, like I said, I appreciate you sharing all the stories and stuff. Yeah, no, um, it's just a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's what we love, though. Mm. And, uh, I mean, is there any other um, kind of pearls of wisdom or bits of uh, advice or knowledge you want to pass on? Um... I suppose one of the only, you know, like with, with Jersey, like I say, my, you know, I'm, I'm learning, you know, I've been flying Jersey for 20 years. Probably the best, if someone's listened to this and thinking, yeah, I've, you know, you know, where I fly, you could, I, you could fly a bird in any terrain within reason, if that makes sense. You know, I've got some big open bits of ground. They're not vast open, like, you know, in Wyoming, where you can see for hundreds of miles or miles and miles and miles. You know, uh, probably the best bit of advice is anyone that's thinking to get one, don't get in a fight with it. Because if you, if you upset it, you know, you, you go to hood it and it doesn't like it and you or you will have the hood on, you start to get it screaming and you just let it calm down and don't get in a fight with them. That's probably the best bit of advice. If they don't like it, don't upset them. Hmm. And uh, But, yeah, no, it's uh, been a pleasure. Yeah, no, it's been great. And um, I'm glad that uh, we got a chance to meet and yeah. talk for a bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you giving me the the time and hopefully you have a good, you know, rest of your weekend. And, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I'm not sure... Uh, when, I'm not sure when I'll see you again. Maybe if you pop down to the States again at some time. Yeah, well, we'll turn up at um, uh, probably one of the Napa meets. Yeah. yeah this year is at um, Texas again. I said, Lubbock, yeah, Texas. Yeah, it's in Lubbock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've been to Amarillo before, but I think I might wait to, or might wait to it changes to, I don't know, Nebraska or somewhere, you know, probably a bit better. No, not better, but probably. Lubbock's, Lubbock's one of the better places, at, least, at least for jackrabbits and stuff, yeah. you know, things for like pheasants that. And part, well, no, they said the ducks, because they're going to have it um, a week later, so it's going to be a little bit cooler, and the ducks might be might be in. So Yeah, no, I mean, it's the, there's I'm not really sure what Texas's, um, you know, seasons are and things like mm. that, but I mean, uh, from what I've heard, Texas is pretty good for, for ducks yeah. and waterfowl. Yeah, when we, went, when we went to, so we went to Amarillo, it was oh, probably about 20 years ago. I think. Lubbock, I should say. Yeah. And uh, that was good, you know, on the, on the ducks, on the, you know, the drainage, on the irrigation ditches and the, mm-hmm. you know, pheasants. Yeah. Um, that was brilliant. You know, loved it, loved it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you've gotten a chance to, to come mm-hmm. down and see some, some yeah. American falcon. Yeah, oh, yeah, love it, yeah. So I've been, uh, when was it, about eight years ago, 10 years ago, we had the, the British Falcons Club had a, um, what called Norton Park meet. So I was there with an old guy, Bill Toffs, bless him. He's dead now, but another one has died, bless him. Lovely guy, known him for years and years and years. So anyway, we was, we was talking, and um, Steve Chingram was there. He come up, and Bill knew Steve, and he said, oh, Steve, this is Alan. Shook his hand. He said, oh, if you ever want to come out, grouse camp, come out. Wow, what an invitation. So I think the following year, me and Bill went out to, you know, flew to um, Salt Lake, stayed with Jensen, and then from there we went to grouse camp, it was the best experience ever. That's how I met the guy, met Steve Chingren at one meeting. And then even now he texts me, you know, on Facebook, how you doing? With yeah, when you're coming out, when you're coming out. All the time, when you're coming out. And we probably this year, next year, I'll definitely be back. Cool. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if we happen to run into each other yeah, or something, definitely. or if you happen to come down to an AFA meet and I happen to be going, let me know. Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah, well, like I said, man, appreciate it. I no, appreciate the time and, yeah. and, and sharing your experiences with us. Yeah, no, thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll talk soon. Thank you.